I'm David Creech. Welcome back to my presentation of God's amazing plan. In this fourth lesson, what I've called puzzle piece number four, we're going to talk about the nature of God. And we stated earlier that part of knowing who God is, is to understand the nature of God. So what does this incredible book, the Bible, tell us about the nature of God and why is that important? Well, certainly there is a lot we could say about the nature of God. So much more than the time we have available to us. So I want us to focus in on three, three very important aspects or characteristics of God as part of this study. That God is holy, that God is just, and that God is love. So let's look at that first one. God is holy. Now the word holy means set apart. To be holy is to be set apart for something or from something. God is holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y. That is completely or 100% set apart from evil and from sin. In other words, he is morally pure or blameless. In the Bible, the, the contrast between light and darkness is often used to describe the contrast between good and evil. If you think about it, there is no greater contrast than that between light and darkness, between black and white. So it perfectly illustrates the contrast God intends between good and evil. 1 John 1, 5 tells us that God is light and in him, in him is no darkness at all. So God is morally pure. God is blameless. God is perfectly holy. In fact, it's because of the purity of God's holiness that the prophet Habakkuk would say in Habakkuk 1.13 that God was of purer eyes than to behold evil, that he could not even look upon wickedness. Now, the prophet Habakkuk is using a figure of speech here known as hyperbole to stress the purity of God's holiness. This, this is not to be taken literally, that, that God cannot see wickedness, because Proverbs 15 and verse 3 tells us that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. But it is true that darkness separates us from a God of light. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 tells us that it is our iniquities, our sin. It is that darkness within us that separates us from a holy God. And the second characteristic that I want to talk about is that God is just. And I know this is kind of an abrupt transition, but bear with me. In a few minutes, I'll make a connection between these first two characteristics of God. The psalmist said in Psalm 7 and verse 11 that God is a just 
judge. Now, when you hear that word just, think justice. That word justice even has at its root the word just. We understand, even today, that, that a judge who lets a convicted criminal go free without serving any kind of sentence or without paying any sort of penalty for their crimes has not been just. Uh, they have not exercised justice. And when you think of that word justice and God, think perfect justice. Paul described God as a righteous judge to a young preacher named Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. Bottom line, we need to understand that unlike the judgments of men, judgments that can be tainted by bad evidence, by personal opinion, by personal prejudices, or even personal agendas, we will be judged by a righteous judge, a judge who is perfectly holy. And our righteous and perfectly holy God has stated very simply and very firmly as part of his judicial system that the wages of sin or the price of sin is death in Romans 6.23. We need to understand that there will never be a reduction in the price of sin. No one will get off on a technicality as is common today in an imperfect judicial system. No one's going to be able to bribe their way out of a conviction. We're not even going to be judged by a jury of our peers, but by an all-powerful and all-knowing God who already has all the evidence he needs to convict us, who knows not only all that we've ever done, but the thoughts and the motives behind those actions. <clears throat> so tying those first two characteristics of God together, why is it important for us to understand that God is holy and that God is just? Because if God is perfectly holy and he cannot lie, in fact Hebrews 6.18 restates that for us, it is impossible for God to lie. And if God is perfectly just and has stated through his own judicial system, that the price of sin is death, then he must follow through with that sentence. Can we see that for it to be any other way is for God to be a liar? Now this is such a difficult concept for people to grasp these days. The vast majority of people today believe that when they die, they will go to heaven. I mean, how many funerals have you attended where it is stated that the person was now in a far worse place than what they experienced here on earth? No, they are always in a far better place. Or it is said that they are looking down on us from heaven or words to that effect. If people today believe in hell at all, 
They believe that it is reserved for the worst of the worst. What did Jesus himself say about that? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 14 that the path to heaven, now listen to me, listen to Jesus, the path to heaven is a difficult one and that there are few who find it. In other words, hell is not just reserved for the worst of the worst. But the majority will go there. Now that realization should hit us like a ton of bricks. Now I don't know about you, but if the majority are going to hell, and if there is anything, anything at all, that is within my power to avoid going with them, then I'm going to strive to do whatever it takes a lot of people today will teach that there is nothing for us to do, that, that there is no part of salvation that is within our power. But the truth is, and we'll talk more about this in later lessons, there are two parts to salvation. There is God's part, that's called grace. And then there is our part. Uh, our part is an obedient faith. God can't obey for us. We have to do that ourselves. But why is that anyway? Why, why do so many people believe that they are going to heaven despite all these warnings to the contrary? Well, because people have a tendency to focus on only one characteristic of God, that God is love. And we haven't talked about that characteristic yet, but people become so fixated on the fact that God is love, that, th that they have convinced themselves, or rather Satan has convinced them, that a God of love cannot possibly condemn so many people to hell. Remember what we said earlier about God sending a strong delusion upon people that they would believe a lie. <clears throat> and what they are forgetting is that God is also perfectly holy and that he is perfectly just and that he must enforce this sentence. And I have a really good illustration for that in a later lesson. <clears throat> and speaking of his love for us, the last characteristic I want to talk about is that God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 is one of several passages that come right out and tell us that God is love. Now, that doesn't mean that God is just some sort of emotion, but that God embodies the essence of love in his very being. And he does that in ways that we may find difficult to understand. Now, other passages, like you see here, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, talk about how God demonstrates his love toward us. And he does that in so many different ways. Now here is a, a question for you based on what we've already stated. How can sinful people ever expect to have a relationship with a holy God who cannot be in the presence of sin? Have you ever thought of that? 
Another way to put it, if we have all sinned, and if the price of that sin is death, and if God must uphold the sentence, how can any of us expect to escape that everlasting destruction? Well, it is his love for us that has taken into a, uh, taken all that into account and has provided a way, a, a narrow way of escape. His love has provided a way for the price to be paid even though we cannot pay ourselves. Now to summarize the nature of God, it is because of God's holiness that there will never be a reduction in the price of sin. God has stated the penalty. God cannot lie. God must uphold the punishment or the sentence. His justice demands that a penalty be paid and that it be applied equally to all men. And it is because of his love for us that a way has been made for that price to be paid. And we're going to talk about that price or that penalty in a later lesson. But before we do that, we need to have a better understanding of what sin is and what the consequences of sin are. And that concludes our lesson on the nature of God and leads us right into puzzle piece number five. And as always, I thank you for your kind attention and look forward to seeing you in the next class.